Well, greetings and welcome to a morning edition of The Dividing Line. We've got to get, um, just trying to get, the next, really, five weeks, um, yeah, right at five weeks, going to be irregular as far as when the program is going to be, Lord willing, (laughs) Um, assuming that uh, we make it all the way through this trip. Um, So 35 days on the road, and uh, that means... If you don't have the app, you're never going to know uh, when we're live, but obviously everything is posted afterwards and most everybody listens to it in that way anyways. So, uh, but we'll, we will do our best to let you, uh, let you know. Um, your prayers sincerely uh, desired for this, uh, this upcoming trip. Um, uh, I really wanted to start off at a hundred percent health and I am not. Um, that's just a, another thing to, um, uh, need to need to fight through, but uh, five debates teaching at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary, the Y Calvinism Conference in Tullahoma, um, four thousand five hundred miles of driving in uh, winter weather. Uh, according to what they keep sending me from Conway, they're expecting uh, the uh, frigid temperatures to return um, next. Uh, let's see, by by the end of the week. Uh, in the mid portion of the United States, we will see. Uh, no one, no one can predict the weather overly well. Uh, so, so who knows? But um, we will, we will see. But your prayers uh, definitely uh, very much uh, appreciated um, for all those uh, those things. Now, <clears throat> um, I was sent this video, um, and I mentioned this is from. Zootown Church in Missoula, Missouri. And um, I, I wasn't going looking uh, for, for anything. Um, this, as I said, was, was sent to me. And this is um, a fellow, uh, Scott Clout, K-L-A-U-D-T, Scott Clout. And I don't know anything about him. Um, evidently, he came into this church, about 80-90% of the congregation left. Um, and he's doing a series right now. It, it, it's sort of, as one person uh, described it, um, he's a mixture of um, Roman Catholic Eastern Orthodox and Rob Bell type theologies. It's quite an interesting, rather noxious mix of things uh, when you think about it. Um, but someone, a, a Roman Catholic, took this sermon and edited it and put these key statements all in a, I think it's only a minute and 42 second clip and put it on Facebook. And that's how it got sent to me. And so, you know, I don't, when he starts, when he starts off, he's obviously talking about, I, I would assume, don't know, I would assume he's talking about when he gained these insights into, you know, Rob Bell type theology is the old emergent church, uh, mishmash of stuff. Um, and 
so, you know, who knows uh, what what prompted all that? I don't, I don't know. But he's talking about something that where you know ninety percent of his friends left and stuff like that. But it's it's the it's the the kind of claims that he makes. I, I realize most people in this audience would be able to identify just how far off base this stuff is. But sadly, a lot of people would be, ah, oh, I didn't know that. And, and, and just, that, that's why, and I've, I've said this many times before, pe people ask what, what classes you took in college and seminary that were the most important to you in doing apologetics. I've always said the same thing, Greek and church history. Uh, Greek, because uh, that's the the focus upon, you know, that if, if there's going to be misrepresentation of the text in the New Testament, it's probably going to be based upon some type of linguistic argumentation. Uh, and in church history, because I'm sitting here thinking, I, I can't think of any group we've dealt with that doesn't make weird and wild claims about church history. You know, the Mormons, wow, okay. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, oh yeah, uh-huh. Uh, atheists, yep, yeah, they'll, they'll say wild and crazy things about church history. Um, the Muslims will make all sorts of interesting claims about what Christians have done in the past. Church history is really important. And that's what you get here, is just a, a scattergunning of claims. Now, I actually uh, was able to track down the sermon from which this all came from. I think it was called How It All Started. I think that's what it was called. And it's fairly recent. I think I think this was the 24th of January. Somewhere around there. Sometime, somewhere between 19th and 24th of January. So just a couple weeks ago. And it just, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting that a Catholic took this and then put the subtitles and stuff in to give it a spin toward Rome, basically. Uh, but I want to just run through it since um, this is the kind of stuff that people throw out and this kind of stuff we've been responding to for years and years and years and years. So um, let's, let's take a listen to it and um, I'll stop and start and we'll go from there. I lost 95% of my relationships because of this. I had brothers I shared meals with go and destroy me because of this. But it's the truth. Rap so I would assume that this is the um, stepping outside of it. What it reminds me of a lot, to be honest with you, is this is the language of the deconstructors. You know, when I started deconstructing, when I started fundamentally moving outside the realm of Christian orthodoxy, um, then my my brothers destroyed me and 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 said, "Well, yeah, their decisions have consequences," and uh, that's what was what was going on there. So, um, like I said, the editing here is pretty pretty fast moving, um, so it's going to be hard to stop and start real well. Rapture isn't going to happen, guys. It was invented in the 1800s. You think, oh, well, who cares? My sweet wife, who grew up Assemblies of God, had to repent all day because she was afraid she was going to go to heaven and the rapture might happen and all that stuff. This is a beautiful... 
Okay. Uh, you know, I grew up believing in the rapture. Um, I, I would not call that abusive. Um, and I still have lots of friends who are dispensational premillennialists. Not sure how many of them would actually claim me as a friend. But anyway, um, and can can anything be used in a in a way that produces religious control? Now you have to. This is something that people don't think a lot about, and it it should be something we think a lot about. What is the difference between abusive religious control that you see in cults and abusive churches and an emphasis upon holiness? Honestly, um, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of balance. It's a matter of sola scriptura and tota scriptura. It's a matter of preaching the whole counsel of God and have have could you find people who have been spiritually abused um and the the fear of the rapture is held over their heads <laughs> uh look at look at um look at jehovah's witnesses now they don't believe in a rapture in the same way but jehovah's witnesses one of the and i saw it many times um they were taught and they're changing right now so exactly how this functions amongst them right now, I couldn't tell you. But uh, they were taught that when Armageddon takes place, those who are alive on earth, when it happens, if they have not been given a chance, they will be given a chance during the millennium. If they have, for example, rejected Jehovah's Witnesses, they will not be resurrected, they will not be given a chance during... So, You've got a imminent, going to happen any second eschatological thing that's hung out there, and you're always left going. If I if I leave the society, um, and then Armageddon takes place, I'm toast. And that has kept many a person uh, from listening to information about the society, stuff like that, and so. Can that happen outside of the watchtower? Yeah. Um, no toys about it. And as far as the dispensational understanding of those things, yeah. Um, the formulations that are very popular today uh, come from the 1800s. That's, that's true. But they'll argue that the foundational aspects uh, are much earlier than that. And clearly there's forms of millennialism that go that go way, way back. Um, but anyways, so. Tell little kids God's going to burn them over the rotisserie at some Bible camp. Catholics worship Mary. No. Okay. Now, all right. Hold on. There's, there's two, two things there, unfortunately, a at least. Okay. Bible camp. Um, are there many, 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 many people who are hard are hardened to the presentation of the gospel today because they were emotionally manipulated at some kind of 
religious event just to inflate numbers. You know, I, I think of the church. I actually um, drove through the parking lot uh, of this church. I forget where it was. I think it was in Georgia. Um, told the story before where there was this church that had a special kids baptistry um, where it was in the form of a pirate ship. And when the kid would get baptized, then the cannons would go off um, when they get when they get baptized. Seriously, you don't remember that? You don't remember that? No, I I remember telling that story. Um, oh, oh yeah. I'd lo- look, if I wanted to find more and more examples uh, of that, I'm sure that I very much could. And, and you know. <sighs> You know what the argument's going to be. We're just trying to open doors for people to come to know Jesus. Uh, you, you know. But what they're really trying to do is the pastor of that church wants to have a shot at being the president of the SBC. So you need to have as many baptisms as possible. And I... Uh, we didn't... In all my years at North Phoenix Baptist Church, um, when it had allegedly 20,000 members... And you could never find more than 7,000 of them in any given Sunday. Um, there were never kitty baptisms with, with cannons. Uh, Richard Jackson would never have allowed it. But the last Sunday before the end of reporting for the calendar year of baptisms for the Southern Baptist Convention, there would always be a sermon on baptism. And there would be a special, super special emphasis. You'd send people out to people who had come forward and made a commitment but hadn't been baptized yet. And you'd have special, you know, whole groups of volunteers in the back. And lots and lots and lots of robes ready to go. And there would be a special, super long service where after the preaching... You call everybody forward. If you have not been baptized, you've heard how important this is. And man, I <laughs> I remember one of them when I was running camera at North Phoenix. And <laughs> I was in, I was in the on that Sunday I was running camera too, which was in the balcony. So I'm I'm basically straight across from the baptistry because it was really elevated. It was way up there. It's above the choir loft. The choir loft could seat almost 300. So it's huge. You can go see it. Look up North Phoenix. Look up Glenn Campbell, North Phoenix. And there, there's a really, he, uh, no more nights, he's saying, about two weeks after I left North Phoenix. So I just missed recording, being one of the cameramen doing that. Um, and you'll get to get a sense of how big this place was. I mean, and it still is. They just don't use it. <laughs> uh, the church is there now. Is still North Phoenix Baptist Church, but they meet in the uh, chapel. They don't meet in the. You did not. You didn't know that. Oh yeah, they meet in the chapel. Yeah. Do you, can you have any? Do you have any idea what it would cost to fire up the air conditioning in that place? Uh, it's just just unbelievable, and they can fit in the chapel, which seats almost six hundred. So it's a tiny in comparison to what it once was. But you know, you've got this massive place. What are you going to do with it? Anyway, um, so I'm I've got the camera up on the thing. We're not broadcasting this. We're not recording it. But I'm just standing there my job and they're getting people through i mean they would baptize 80 90 100 people 
in one one shot to get that number up as high as possible. And um, I'll never forget this little little lady comes down and Jackson would he'd close his eyes and he'd put his hand up and you know in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, when his eyes are closed, little old lady goes. <laughs> And you can hear an audible gasp from the audience. He has no idea why. He didn't. He never saw it. But uh, just, just give you an idea. There wasn't, there wasn't really any instruction going on. It was just get the numbers up. So uh, anyway, didn't don't know why I decided to tell you that story from so long, long ago. Well, actually, I had dinner last night with a bunch of folks from Grand Canyon uh, from years and years and literally almost 40 years ago now. And uh, uh, so we were telling stories. So that must be why I was thinking about that. Uh, but um, anyway, are there, is there manipulation like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no ways about it. Um, and it's really hard to reach those people because they've, they've come down the aisle and they've shaken somebody's hand and they were told on the basis of first John chapter five, that you're saved and you've got your ticket punched and nothing's going to change that. And you're going to heaven. And that's why when the, there was a regime change at North Phoenix, um, the next guy that came in just honestly told people, uh, I was gone by then, but, uh, honestly told people the, the back door of this church is bigger than the front door of this church. He said, we've, we've, we've baptized thousands of people. We have no idea where they are. No idea. They're, they're not a part of a church or not anything, but they've been told they're saved. And that's all there is to that. So is that an unusual thing? No. Unfortunately, it, it, it definitely happened in, in the past. It, it may not be quite as popular today. It's just simply because of secularism. I don't know. But anyways, then the next thing that was said very quickly... Catholics worship Mary. No, they don't. You know, the church came before the Bible. Okay, so so here comes this. He has been um, being mentored by a Roman Catholic priest. So, so here he is in a quote-unquote Protestant church, and he says, now this isn't meant to be a, a recommendation to Roman Catholicism, but then you get, uh, we've been told that Catholics worship Mary. No, they don't. Okay, then you explain what the Reformers pointed out and that anyone would have to point out, and that is that hyper-veneration um, is biblically the, the hyperdulia, which Rome gives to Mary, is biblically no different than latria, worship. Now, do they make it? Do they say they make a distinction? Yes. And as we said long, long ago, do you really think that the distinction that they make, if you were brought before Moses and accused of worshiping an idol, and we can show it'd be so easy just to go on YouTube right now, and you would you'd see these people and they're rocking back and forth and they're fingering their rosary beads and they're lighting candles and, and they're looking longingly up at statues of Mary. And, and do you really think if you, if you brought Moses into that situation and he's looking at this and you go, don't worry, Mo, 
It's only hyperveneration. It's not worship. And he'd go, but the law says you shall not ahav. And that can be translated as either latria or dulia, and frequently is in the Greek Septuagint. There is no distinction. It's not a biblical distinction at all. It's a distinction of tradition that developed over time to excuse the giving to images of what should not be given to images or to quote-unquote saints and so on, what's not to be given to them. So just simply throwing out, uh, the Catholics don't worship Mary, uh, is, is just as surface level as the Jack Chick stuff against Catholicism. That doesn't accomplish anything. Um, and then, now, again, this you have to have to remember something. None of this stuff that's on the screen was a part of the um, sermon. So this is a Catholic guy. You know, I don't know what his connection is to this Scott Cloud guy. <clears throat> Catholic guy who's throwing this stuff out there as a evangelism type thing. Okay. So he says, you know, the church came before the Bible. It, you will hear Roman Catholics saying this all the time. Sadly, uh, you heard uh, Andy Stanley say the same thing. And it, it's, it's difficult for me to understand how those who say this how they can have any serious knowledge of the New Testament. Because there is a body that makes up two-thirds of the Bible of literature that is quoted over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. If you know how to even look at it, if you know how your translation indicates that, if you've got the NASB or LSB, it's the big old block print and others use italics and things like that. But... So, the concept of Scripture as an authoritative word from God is fixed and settled long before the birth of Jesus. And if all they're saying is, well, there was a 400-year period uh, during which time the what we call the Old Testament canon is... Uh, put into place, not by infallible councils or things like that, but through use, uh, that's a given. We all know that. And you've got about the same amount of time in the New Testament, same type of thing. Again, not infallible councils, even from Rome's perspective. Even from Rome's perspective, there is no infallible dogmatic decree on the canon of the church until April of 1546. 15. 46. That's a long time into church history. So this idea that, you know, that the Bible came before the, the, the church came before the Bible is all meant to communicate the idea that the Bible is under the authority of the church rather than the church being under the authority of the Bible. And that is the Roman Catholic understanding and numerous other primarily liturgically oriented, non-solo scriptura practicing 
uh, groups um, as well. The church came before the Bible. 300 years the church was around before the Bible got brought together. So again, um, that doesn't mean that the church was around uh, when, when, it says, when it says brought together. If you mean finally after the peace of the church in 313, you could have manuscripts like Sinaiticus or Vaticanus produced where you have the entire Bible between two covers if you were rich enough to afford stuff like that because it's very expensive. Uh, if you if you if you mean you know what do you mean by brought together? Um, what about a P sixty six, P seventy five, gospel manuscripts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, P forty five, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts two twenty uh, A D. Um, so so what exactly do you mean brought together? Um, did Romans? have less authority before it was brought together than afterwards? It, it doesn't seem to be any really serious thought being put into what's being said here. Um, but what you've got is you've got a guy raised in Protestantism with... This is the result of being raised in a Protestant church without historically Protestant convictions regarding Roman Catholicism. Um, that just, that's not uncommon, unfortunately. It, it, there are a lot of people like that. And this is what you end up running into when they then start talking to a Roman Catholic that starts throwing out church history stuff. And you're like, well, I, I didn't know anything about that. Um, and it's a shame. And you know what I love about the Catholics? They can handle questions. This is now notice what's. No, now again, this isn't him that put Catholic answers up there. <clears throat> um, but it fits with what he's saying. It fits with what he's what he's saying. Not an endorsement of the Catholic Church. I also show Pope. Okay, so so he says they they've got answers. Are you asking the right questions? I can give you all sorts of questions, <laughs> um, and I'm sure in a few weeks, again, Lord willing. Um, when Trent Horn and I lock, lock horns um, in uh, Texas, both in Dallas and in Houston, um, we will be raising a number of those questions. And some of them have to do with Pope Francis. Francis, some grace. He's the pastor of a billion people over multiple cultures, multiple languages. It's hard to keep y'all unified in Montana. Say so, here you've got a, a guy at Zootown Church in Missoula pope splaining. Now, does does he have any idea? I don't have it now. I've already I've already put it in the truck. But I pulled out my 1592 um, Catholic Catechism, the Catechism of the Council of Trent. I'll be bringing that with me, and my current Catechism, which normally I have down there. I've, I've already put this stuff away. Does he have any idea of what the what the Pope is doing and how the Pope is producing contradictions? Has he listened to the bishops that were at the um, the synod on synodality and who have who have come out and said we had to sit there and get lectured on 
the need to be inclusive of LGBTQ individuals. And we were, we were given like 30 seconds to respond or 60 seconds or something like that. Is, is, he, is he even aware of the changes in how the popes could be elected and the people on the Papal Biblical Commission and uh, putting pro-choice people on abortion committees in the Vatican and all that. Does he even know any of this stuff? Does he understand what liberation theology is? I don't know, but he'd probably like it. If you're more into the Rob Bell universalist type stuff, you'd probably like all that stuff anyways. Um, but now he's Pope-splaining. Something, and then the news media runs with it about what they, they don't phrase it. Even what so, so now notice that this, now again, this guy, Clout, is not putting the stuff that's on the screen. So on the screen, it says, one does not bless the union, but simply the people who together have requested it, not the union, but the persons, Francis said, etc., etc., which, again, is utterly, thankfully, red-pilled Roman Catholics get it. They understand that you do not bless persons who are in a situation of continuing in their rebellion. You know, you've seen, you, you, you've seen enough movies, you don't even have to be an ex-Catholic. Is it really? Okay, all right, 1030. You don't have to be an ex-Catholic to have heard, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. They're not saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Bless me, Father, as I continue in my sin. I, how, I, I don't know how people can't see this. I, I don't get it. I don't know. <clears throat> Luther took out four books of the Bible. Luther took out four books in the Bible. Really? Now, now you now you start realizing this guy, if he ever went to Bible college, wasn't listening. Or 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 it's it's also quite possible um, that wherever he went, didn't teach about the canon of Scripture, um, Reformation, stuff like that. Luther took out four books in the Bible. Actually. Um, at, at best, you can point to places where he expressed um, doubts concerning James, called it a right straw epistle, even though he quotes from it as scripture. There are entire books on that particular subject. But if you're talking about the Apocrypha, that's more than four books. So you got to get your numbers straight here. And nobody, Luther did not have the right to do and did not claim the right to quote unquote change anything to change the canon or remove books in the Bible. He didn't claim I have the right to determine what is in the Bible, what isn't. Didn't didn't do any of that type of stuff. And the position adopted by the Lutherans about the apocryphal books, <laughs> um, I always just like to point out to the naive non-historical Roman Catholics. Um, that the uh, cardinal, uh, Cardinal Cayetan, uh, he was he was interviewed by a number of cardinals. He meant as Cayetan, but one of those that interviewed him, I think, immediately prior to the Diet of Worms. It might have been right afterwards. I'd have to double check that. Anyway, uh, had written a book specifically 
rejecting the canonical status of the apocryphal works, saying, don't be like a raw scholar and be um, influenced by this person or that person. Jerome had it right, and Jerome rejected these books, and he's right, Jerome did. Um, there were there were two streams of thought on that subject, and as we say over and over again, the people who knew the most about the Jewish people and their literature and could read Hebrew rejected the apocryphal books, most of which were not even originally written in Hebrew, written in Greek. Um, and so I would just recommend that people... You know, I, I did a debate on the Apocrypha at Boston College back in 93, I think it was. Um, but the, the the better one was with Gary Machuda um, on Long Island. And, you know, just just pick up the Old Testament can, New Testament church, Roger Beckwith. Read it. Read it yourself. He didn't think they were legit. Mom. Okay, he didn't think they were legit. Well, okay, nothing like giving a lot of information here. I was in a cave. Gabriel came to me and he gave me this revelation. No one was there. Would we follow that? But yet we're looking at Luther, my dear. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I'm sorry, but um, this this is a alleged Protestant, and and, and this is as this is as bad as um, when Candace Owens, you know was talking about her husband and before her conversion to Rome, she said, he asked me a question that I, I couldn't answer. And that, and that is if, if, you know, to be a Protestant, you have to believe there weren't any, any Christians before Luther. And, and, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Have you read any of the reformers? Clearly not. That wasn't Luther's position. That wasn't Calvin's position. That wasn't Zwingli's position. Uh, none of that stuff. So, um, there are these traditionalistic type objections that just get circulated amongst these folks and get repeated like that. Like, like we're somehow following Luther the way that the Muslims follow Muhammad? Are you serious? Uh, it, all the Lutherans in the audience are laughing uh, at, at that one. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, not even, that's not even semi-serious. That's just like, what? What are you talking about, man? Friend, this is how every cult starts. He did not have the authority to do what he did. And when if he's talking about do what he did, in regards to what? Um, I, I haven't had time, because I only saw this last night, but I, I didn't have time to listen to this entire sermon. Um, so maybe he's referring to something else, but if he's talking about the canon and stuff like that, again, pure fiction. Um, pulp fiction even. <laughs> he was asked to come back into the church. He said no. Why? Because Martin Luther wanted to be the new Pope. And That's just baloney. Pure and utter baloney. Um, everybody at Zootown Church, or if you know anybody at Zootown Church, uh, recommend they read you know, Here I Stand by uh, Roland Bainton. The um, biography of, of, of Martin Luther. The, the last thing he wanted to be was the Pope. Um, not, not even close. I mean, this is just... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it other than saying this is a very ignorant man sitting in front of people repeating absurdities. He succeeded in inventing an entirely new religion. Here's what Father Jarman... 
An entirely new religion. Again, wow. Um, the, the reformers didn't even complete the work of reforming, to be quite honest with you. But here's someone who, I'll bet you dollars donuts, if you walked up to Pastor Clout this coming Sunday morning and said, who was Cardinal Sadaletto? He'd have no earthly idea. And I'll bet you he's never read the correspondence, the letter that Sadaletto wrote to the Church of Geneva and Calvin's response. Wouldn't have any idea of how the Reformers very plainly repudiated the idea that they were inventing a new religion. This is a guy who just simply is either waiting for Easter to become a Catholic uh, or will next year um, because he's already bought everything hook, line, and sinker without the slightest bit of thought and reflection uh, on it. He says to me all the time, he says, you Protestants got rid of one pope, now you got millions. Yes. Now you got millions. Well, the one you got ain't doing you a whole lot of good right now. Now is he? Um, there is no such thing as a papacy in the New Testament. Uh, there is there is no reason to believe that it was God's intention that we function in that way at all. And so, what he's trying to say is now you've got all these people who are interpreting the Bible for themselves. Do you want Francis interpreting the Bible for you? Do you really do you, do you really want to go there? Do you do you look? Have you seen? Do you know anything, anything about the people he has put on the papal biblical commission? What they believe? I bet you don't. I'll bet you don't. I can guarantee you, any self-respecting conservative evangelical has a much higher view of Scripture than Francis does. And I don't mean just saying, "Oh, well, it's the Word of God." I mean functionally. Believing that it's a harmonious revelation. Not harmonious revelation because I determine how to make it harmonious, but I then submit to how it is harmonious, including the things I don't like. It did sweep across Europe, but for one reason, money. All the so the Reformation swept across uh, Europe because of money. Um, partly, yeah. I, I wouldn't say money. I would say politics. Um, the the old order was falling apart. Nationalism was on the rise. We've talked about all this stuff. Again, I can point people back to the church history lessons that I did in the 90s at PRBC, which are out there and finally converted to MP3 from Real Audio. All the way back there, where we've talked about the influence of what, what were the factors that led to the Reformation? Renaissance, Ad Fontes, uh, the printing press, the rise of nationalism. Um, these were all the Black Death, the rise of the middle class, the rise of universities. These all had to take place before the Reformation could happen. I don't get the feeling that's what he's covering um, at all. And this Catholic guy, you know, with his, uh, you know, the screen freeze here is is great, with old big boy uh, Henry. Uh, I I'm assuming here. 
king, they thought the Catholic Church is the number one landowner in the world. If we go with Luther, we can take the Catholic Church's money and land, and they did. King Henry VIII took 87 billion dollars from the Catholic Church when he left. Wow, I've I've heard some really how naive do you have to be uh, types of of arguments before. This man knows nothing about church history. It is so sad. Uh, and the Catholic priest who's telling him knows nothing about church history either, or at least in any semi-fair, rational, balanced way. And look at look at the the smug smile uh, on on that face there. It's it it's um wow. Um in England Again, you had a sacral system in all of Europe at this time. And so whatever religious orthodoxy the church followed, um, the state would enforce that, which included those churches that had been built with state monies. And so in England, you had churches that went from Catholic to Protestant, back to Catholic under Bloody Mary, back to Protestant after that. I mean, that was just that was just how things worked. It wasn't, uh, you know, and obviously $87 billion, that that's in modern funds, and that's talking about church properties and and stuff like that, 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 that again, what was the Catholic Church doing with all that stuff other than building St. Peter's Basilica? Uh, and enriching the Pope. I mean, you want you want to talk about financial corruption? You want to talk about indulgences? You want to talk about stuff like that? We can if you want to. Um, and and I'm I'm gonna be the first one sitting here saying, you know, no no question about the fact that the Reformation was not some pure. That everybody, I, I'm not sitting here saying everybody involved in the Reformation <coughs> had completely pure motives. Um, uh, Frederick, the elector of Saxony, um, you know, supported Luther. Did he have absolutely pure motives? No, I'm, I'm sure there were there were political things there as well. But let's let's realize the primary message of Luther was justification by faith. The primary message of the Pope was fidelity to me as the Pope, and my my money. And my riches and my power, and that's from the people who claim to be infallible. Let's, let's keep this sort of that, that gets lost, I'm afraid, in some of the uh, stuff here. Um, yeah, and that's the end of it. Uh, it was only a minute and 42 seconds. So, um, if if I didn't have so much else else to be doing, I, I'd like to listen to that whole sermon. I may, anyways, since I I, I have it uh, saved at home and I. I may go ahead and throw it in there for the fun of it uh, at, at some point. Um, but anyway, um, so I've used most of my time here. Uh, I want to play a segment from um, Trent Horn. I have to be brief. Uh, this is from his debate with Gavin Ortland on Sola Scriptura. And this is the second rebuttal. And I, I just want to specifically point out um, an element of argumentation always comes up when dealing with Roman Catholics. This is more serious, obviously, than the last guy who doesn't know what he's talking about, but 
Um, so let's let's try to run through this in the 15 minutes that we have left. It goes fast, doesn't it? Well, we looked at Gavin's single argument. And remember, his single argument boils down to an assertion in premise two. There are no other infallible rules of faith besides Scripture. Okay, just real quickly, you're going to be hearing all of this again in a few weeks. Nothing, nothing's going to change. Um, Rome makes a claim. Rome doesn't want to defend the claim. So the way they refuse to defend the claim is by saying, well, you can't defend your claim that Scripture is the sole infallible rule of faith. So we sit here and say, we, we can sit here and run through all of the unique characteristics of Scripture. It's God speaking. They can't show us anywhere where tradition is God speaking. They can't show us anywhere where the papacy is spoken out by God. They can't give us a Psalm 119, which is about God's word, God's revelation, God's law. You can't do that for tradition. You can't do any of this kind of stuff. And the same guys will, it is absolutely incoherent for modern Catholic apologists to, on the one hand, make this argument, and on the other hand, then use, slap some Newman on it. Okay? Um, because if, you know, these are the people that tell you bodily assumption of Mary is a dogma you have to believe. But we can't show it to you anywhere in Scripture. But you have to show us sola scriptura. Okay? It is, it is incoherent to accept the concept of the development of, of doctrine and at the same time say, but you have, to, you have to do this. Well, that's just your standard. You are making a claim that you just simply will not and cannot defend. And today, with Francis and Tucho Fernandez, you really, really... Are in a tough situation. I get it, but we have to point it out. Um, so, but he can't cite anything in divine revelation that says that he's made fallacious arguments to try to reach to that conclusion. Then remember, I gave three positive arguments against sola scriptura that have not been addressed. I said that if God intends for us to have sola scriptura, it would be clearly taught in Scripture. Really, like the bodily assumption, right? which you say is a de fide dogma. If you reject the bodily assumption of Mary, you are anathema, right? That's, that, that, if words have meaning. Now, do I think Francis believes that? Not for a second. That's why I tell you, in the year 1600, the Roman Catholic Church would have burned Francis and Tucho Fernandez and his really weird books by fire, and not purgatorial fire. <laughs> the real stuff, <laughs> you know, that smells really bad. Um, they would have burned them using green wood. That's right. The slow burning, you know, meat falling off the bone type stuff. Yeah. So that a person using ordinary and due means would be able to find it. Ordinary and due means can, can show you a bodily assumption? No, it can't. Immaculate conception? No, it can't. Um, and I say to you, we can. And we have. And it's plain and it's clear. Jesus never said tradition cannot be broken, but he said scripture cannot be broken. Jesus never said, have you not read what was spoken to you by God in tradition? He said that in scripture. Um, and 
when you define theanustas in a meaningful believing fashion rather than a unbelieving fashion, in other words, if you define it on the basis of who wrote it, and if you're going to use Poirier, you don't know who wrote it. You're going to have to throw it out there and say, we don't know who wrote it. That changes how you define words. I say, a, and by the way, this is directly parallel to the 1946 movie. The 1946 movie is saying, we can't really know what arsenokoitai means because of these sources that come hundreds of years afterwards, they used it this way. Well, that's the same thing you're doing with Theodostas. And the issue, the only way to understand what Arsenokoitai means, for those of you who are not familiar with that, 1 Corinthians 6-9, homosexuals, um, the only way to understand what Paul meant by that was to recognize the meaning of that within the Pauline corpus and Paul's use of the Greek Septuagint to make his points throughout all of his writings. If you say Paul didn't write those words, then you're no longer limited in that way, and you can't define terms any longer. That's a bit of a problem. So we've already proven all that stuff. It's, it's there, you just don't accept the argumentation. And yet it's, it's not there. It's not explicit in Scripture if God would want us to believe such an important doctrine, and that wasn't addressed. Papacy, Marian dogmas, indulgences, all fail that test. All fail that test. I gave the argument from patristic silence, that we don't see any early fathers <coughs> affirming what Gavin is saying, that Scripture is the only infallible rule of faith. And you don't find early fathers doing what Rome would say that they would do in looking to the Bishop of Rome. Why, didn't, why do we have a Council of Nicaea? Why do we have a Council of Nicaea? Why didn't they just go to the Bishop of Rome? Why wasn't the Bishop of Rome was the one known as the one who was defending the deity of Christ in the Arian resurgence? Oh, well, uh, we didn't even really get a citation like that from Augustine, and I've addressed that. Uh, Irenaeus was name-dropped. I got nothing to work with there without a citation. Uh, they, they aren't, you know, they are authorities even if they can't send me to hell. Well, they aren't actually spiritual authorities. Yeah, I agree. A church is going to kick you out if you don't play by their rules, but so will any social club. So would any human organization that I'm a part of. The Protestant church can't have theological authority because a person is always free to say to the Protestant church he belongs to, well, they contradict the Bible, so I'm going to a different church. Okay, that's what I wanted to get to. That's what I wanted to get to. Over the years, many times, we have pointed out the epistemological inconsistency and incoherence of Roman Catholic apologists on this very issue. Rome wants to ignore her divisions. Sort of hard to do right now. You know, when you're when you're reading the you're reading the stuff from the Synod and Synodality, when when you really understand liberation theology, when you when you realize how wildly progressivist Boston College is, for example, how wildly progressivist the Jesuits are um, in comparison to, well, Catholic apologetics. Catholic apologetics does not represent Catholic scholarship, by and large, at all. You look at the people that the Pope Francis has put on the Papal Biblical Commission, 
They don't do apologetics. Okay. They, they, they're not even close. Okay. So they want to ignore all that and just have the United Ancient Catholic Church. We'll ignore the doctrinal development. We'll ignore all that stuff. We are the one. And then all those Protestants out there. And we will ignore the fact that the vast majority of the Protestants we compare you to don't even believe in Sola Scriptura. They don't even believe in Tota Scriptura. They're not even trying to apply these things. Here's something to remember. If you take the Protestant denominations that believe, confess, and seek to practice Sola Scriptura, those denominations will have significantly greater unity than every group that says Scripture plus an infallible authority. Now, Catholics get really upset when you do this. Because there's lots of groups that say Scripture plus an infallible authority. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, there's all sorts of them. You can't compare them. That's the point. They say they have Scripture plus an infallible authority. They can't even get God right. They can't even get close. Those of us who believe and practice sola scriptura, we're Trinitarians. We have the same gospel. Where do we have differences? Um, ecclesiology. You know, whether you're to have a, a session or whether the local church is an autonomous group. Um, yeah, we have our debates about baptism. Uh, as to who's to be baptized and when, just like you have in the early church, actually. Um, but in comparison on the key definitional issues, we have much more unanimity when we practice sola scriptura than you say when you have scripture plus infallible authority. If you want to leave that aside, if you're just too offended to think that one through, the reality is that even if you don't do that, the divisions that exist within Roman Catholicism are much wider than the divisions that exist amongst believing Protestants who practice Sola Scriptura. There's no question about it. So they, they want to go, well, you can just go down the, go down the road. That's a problem. <clears throat> it's astonishing to me that a Catholic apologist could stand in front of television cameras in light of what Francis did when the bishop of, that's responsible for Nancy Pelosi undercut that bishop's authority and disciplinary action by giving to Nancy Pelosi and President Biden and any other Democrat that wants to bow at his feet, mass. Don't sit there and, and use this argument when your Pope, your Pope will give the Eucharist to people who are responsible for making sure that the blood of innocent children continues to flow in the United States of America. Stop it. Don't be a hypocrite. In my church, and I know this because 
not all the time, but 25% of the time, 20% of the time, I give the instructions before the supper. If I've preached, then I'll give the instructions before the supper. So, only a matter of weeks ago, uh, I preached two weeks in a row before the supper. Each time, what did I do? You do not have to be a member of Apologia Church to partake of the Lord's Supper. However, we ask that you be a baptized believer in Jesus Christ and not be under discipline from a like-minded believing church. Do not use our table to go around the discipline of your church. You need to deal with the discipline of your church. So we seek to honor the discipline that other churches have, uh, have, have are seeking to, you know, you're an unrepentant, you, you're not repentant of your sin, you, you shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper. We seek to honor that. We seek to do that. Um, I'm not sure how that works in Rome, but we saw how it works at the upper levels when Pope Francis, knowing, knowing, absolutely knowing that the bishop had told Nancy Pelosi, do not present yourself for the Mass. Absolutely knowing that, purposefully, knowingly undercut that discipline. I don't know how, I don't know how anyone at a Roman Catholic church knows who's coming forward to receive the elements. I mean, can't you just, if, if you're a Catholic, can't you just, you know, visit another parish? Remember, this is the same Pope who's going nuts of burgers to suppress the um, Latin Mass, as if it's some terrible, horrible thing to have the Latin Mass, and there's all sorts of Catholics that want to have the Latin Mass, and he says, nope, you can't have it, and people who keep doing it end up getting kicked out of their positions, and so I'm just sitting here going, you know, these seem to be less than consistent arguments. <clears throat> and remember, and I'm sure Trent's going to mention this, when we decided to do Sola Scriptura, he said, well, uh, if you want to go both directions, then I'll do apostolic succession. And I'm like, apostolic succession? For the Roman Catholic, apostolic succession is summed up in and embodied in the Bishop of Rome. They won't defend the Bishop of Rome. We had a debate set up in Sydney, Australia in 2019 with uh, Tim Staples. And we wanted to debate, is Pope Francis the infallible vicar of Christ on earth? They canceled it. They won't defend Francis. They know they can't. It's impossible. So let's do something really nebulous, where there's all sorts of different understandings of it, and no one can really define it, and we don't have to actually flesh it out in the form of the Bishop of Rome, Francis. Um, yeah, okay. Gotta have, gotta have the same standards here. You can't have all sorts of different standards. Um, and so that's something to always keep in mind uh, when you get into these conversations. <clears throat> I don't know, and I sort of doubt that... Um, We'll be able to do anything on Friday. Um, we'll see as far as the program is concerned because Tuesday of next week is when Trent and I are supposed to be doing 
a conversation on Ali Bastucki on the differences between Roman Catholics and Protestants. I, I don't know that that's going to be a debate or if it's just going to be a where does everybody stand on this, 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 and this, and just have you know a few minutes to give a presentation and maybe interact. I I, I don't know. Um, I, I I haven't been told yet exactly how much interaction there's going to be or if it's just going to be, let's talk about a wide variety of things and um, be able to express differing positions, knowing what the other side believes. I, I don't know. But um, hopefully, yes, hopefully Monday. That that's That's the first day that I can see on the travel schedule might be a good shot for doing another dividing line. We will see. Because <clears throat> I head down to Houston. I'll be at Houston. So afternoon programs should work out fine until we get to the debate days. And then maybe in the morning might might be able to do something. We'll see. We'll see. All that's dependent upon everything keeps working in the unit and electricity is still working. And, you know, uh, like I said, yesterday we learned stuff. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, and there's big potholes between here and Dallas. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Rich, Rich wants me to, uh, to do what I need to do. And that is to mention the travel fund. Um, the only reason that we can get where we're going and, uh, you know, every night there's an RV park. Costs money. It's not super expensive. It's certainly less expensive than hotels. I can guarantee you that much. Um, but we have that, and it, every about 280 miles or so, I've got to stick one of those big diesel hoses uh, into that thing and just watch it. When you when you do it in the diesel lines with the big diesel trucks, which is what we try to be doing most of the time. Um, Man, that thing moves fast. <laughs> if if it was the old style, some of you aren't old enough to remember the old style um, gas pumps that had the, the the mechanical stuff. I'm not sure those things would. They just <laughs> yeah, it's just like wow. It would go really really fast. Um, it, it goes fast as it is. Believe me. Um, but yeah, diesel costs costs money, and there's there's there's. It's cost involved. You make it all possible. Uh, the travel fund at aomin.org uh, will get us where we're going. So we appreciate everyone who helps us do that. And again, uh, prayers uh, for me and uh, the, the physical issues that I'm dealing with as we're getting ready to get on the road, which will not make being on the road quite as enjoyable as as it might be otherwise. Uh, the Lord knows knows my body, and he can fix it up if he wants to. So uh, pray toward that end. So uh, we will see you from the mobile studio uh, with the with the pretty... You know, I, I don't have all the neat, fun stuff behind me, but I have the pretty colors that uh, Rich still doesn't like, and everybody else does, so that's good. Uh, and, and I'll have all my coogees. Uh, with me because it'll undoubtedly be significantly cooler there than it is here. Uh, Pray for traveling mercies. We'll see you next time on The Dividing Line. God bless.